Hello everyone, this is Hank Yang with the Northwestern People Podcast. Today we have a very special guest, Michelle Hong. Hello. (laughs) Michelle is a junior journalism and psychology double major. She is the PR for Fusion Dance Company. (laughs) She's also a great dancer. She... (laughs) is currently working an internship at Salt and Light Coalition for her journalism residency. I'm doing marketing, right? Mm-hmm. I'm the marketing intern. And she's also my girlfriend. Wow. Um, <laughs> 16 months? Mm-hmm. Almost a year and a half. Almost a year and a half. Almost. The first thing I want to ask you, like mm-hmm. I ask every Northwestern student, is why Northwestern? What was your journey to this school? I chose Northwestern, or I early decisioned Northwestern, because at the time I was very full-send journalism. It was kind of one of my defining things in high school. And when the time came and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, I thought, oh, I'm good at this and I spend a lot of time on this, so I should do it as a career. And I was passionate about it at the moment, at the time. So that's what narrowed my college decisions. And then, you know, Medill's reputation is what drew me to it. And the location I really liked as well, because I grew up in a very secluded city or small town, I guess. So I wanted to go to From Carmel, Indiana. Yeah. (laughs) I try not to (laughs) tell people where I'm from, because we have a pretty bad rep, as we deserve. But... (laughs) So, you've dated a few people before in Carmel, and you got to Northwestern, mm-hmm. and you met me. Mm-hmm. How has our relationship been for you so far? <laughs> how has our relationship been? It's been great. Phenomenal. And how has it differed from all these other relationships you had hid from your parents in the <laughs> past? There's only like two <laughs> or three. Two, oh two real ones. Or four. <laughs> no, five? no, no. I'm more like six. <laughs> <laughs> He's lying. How have they been different? Mm-hmm. This is definitely the most honest I've been to my parents about the timeline of a relationship in terms of like me telling them as soon as we started dating, at least on my own will. <laughs> the last relationship was kind of similar, but it's because my mom found out through a family friend. I know, the Korean community is scary. (laughs) Um, Anyways, this is also definitely the first time I've been this independent in terms of who I can hang out with and especially how much time I spend with you and like what we do together. Like if we go to the city, like dates and all that kind of stuff, like I'd always have to like lie to my parents about that kind of thing or like really space out when we would see each other. Also, not to brag or anything, but we have had a pretty stable relationship. We have. For a college relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty healthy. And <laughs> Dare I say. <laughs> I remember at some point, we went with a bunch of our friends, and we were all a little coupled up. Oh my gosh, do you want to talk about Loyola this? Beach, all together. I think there was like four or five couples together. And then we're the only one left standing. No, that's such a bad omen. <laughs> but... I feel like we did a good job, especially of conflict resolution. I think in the very beginning, we had a lot of issues with trying to resolve conflicts and 
things would draw be drawn out for、mm-hmm. days, and then eventually would resolve it. But、mm-hmm. there was that one breakthrough conversation that you had with me, where we sort of figured out where the issue was lying, and after that, everything started to become a little easier to resolve.、Um, Michelle, do you want to just elaborate on how that changed over time? Yeah.、Um... I think in the very beginning, it was definitely a me problem. <laughs> I was very, I would do that thing where I would get upset about something, but then instead of just telling you why I'm upset, I would just act upset and hope that you would notice and be the first one to be like, "Why are you upset?" Or you know, "Are you mad at me?" Like that kind of thing. And then you just in nature, or at the time at least, were like less observant to those kind of mood changes. And I don't think I was making them very obvious, anyways. Just like for my pride. <laughs> Um, so that was clearly a horrible way to approach conflict.、Um, I remember like one time we were in front of Allison, and I was acting mad, but like very subtly again. And then、um, you're like, "Are you mad at me?" And I was like, "Yeah, like I need to stay mad like a little longer." I used to feel like in order to feel Validated and what I was upset with that I had to be mad for a certain amount of time or act cold towards you for a certain amount of time to feel like oh like this is like this is this is this matters basically and then I remember you telling me after I said that you're like why would you do that like just tell me why you're mad and then <laughs> we can we can fix it and then you don't have to be mad anymore and that was like so simple. But it was such a moment of like, oh, you're so right. Like, why am I doing this to myself? Yeah, that, I think that was like one of the biggest things. And then after that, I just felt a little more comfortable. I was, it was still hard because I still just kind of choke up when I'm upset.、Um, it takes me a while to find the words to explain what's wrong. But I think after that conversation, I've always approached things with more of like, how am I going to explain why I'm upset rather than. I need to be upset for a little longer before I tell you. Yeah, I think as a guy, it's really hard to pick up on things, as in like the intentions behind some things. Because <laughs> it doesn't have to be a guy thing. Okay, don't make it maybe a not a guy thing. thing. But for me, thing with you, my、mm-hmm. temperament,、mm-hmm. with your temperament, I feel like it. Sometimes I see the effect, like the end result. Of all the things that are going on in your head, and you're like in this state of slight madness, slight discontent, and then I just don't know what to make of it because I don't, I I haven't followed the entire process of、mm-hmm. how you got there,、mm-hmm. and so sometimes I can make a very quick assumption of how you got to that point,、mm-hmm. and maybe it's a very simple deduction and. It's definitely the wrong one. So then I get annoyed at you. I'm like, it's supposed to be a date. Why are you like being mad and being petty? And I feel like not making that immediate jump、mm-hmm. to being like, oh, why are you suddenly being like this? While not evaluating my own actions and what might have potentially caused you to be that way.、Mm-hmm. That was like something that I had to learn. Slowly, in order to try and resolve the conflict and get to the root, like the seed that started the issue in the beginning.、Mm-hmm. And also, I realized 
through like us resolving things that it's very important to me that you fully hear what led me to become upset and that you fully understand why I was upset before you apologize because and this goes both ways but like to me an apology means nothing if you didn't actually understand why I was upset in the first place because then how are you going to know to not do it in the future you know and I think sometimes why I get silent or it takes me a while to explain things is because sometimes I get upset about stuff and I don't even know why in the moment I just like feel the anger and I'm like oh shoot like why do I feel this way and I don't want to express to you immediately like some like bs reason as to why I'm upset like I really want to actually tell you what it was and sometimes it takes me some time to figure it out myself before I can tell you I think that's when things are most productive between us yeah and I feel like that's that's the most difficult part where you don't know what the issue like mm-hmm. fully is yourself and you're speaking in like an angry way and that brings up all these emotions in me and I sort of generally assume oh this is what what she's thinking based on the little information you've given me and as soon as I think that I stop processing any new information because I want to say something now I want to interject I want to just defend myself or justify my actions but really like trying to stop that immediate reaction Mm -hmm. and listening to you all the way through until you have nothing else to say Mm -hmm. that's really difficult in the moment Mm -hmm. but very recently i realized anything i do while i'm angry i'm like a completely different person Mm -hmm. as in i know that whatever i do when i'm angry it's not going to end up in a positive result Mm -hmm. And I, I remembered I was sending this angry text to a friend very recently. And and the moment I sort of self-reflected and I was like, I'm really angry right now. I have a lot of emotions coursing through me. And I'm going to send this text because I think this is the right thing to say. But then I was like, but maybe it's not the right thing to say. <laughs> and then and then but then my angry self was like, no, it's the right thing to say because it's it's justified da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. and then i wait like 30 minutes and i look back at the text i sent and i was like what was i thinking <laughs> i literally could have worded it in such a better way so that it doesn't inflame the conflict yeah i agree i also think especially when it comes to you you think through things very logically and i'm like just more emotional on that spectrum And so for me to explain things more logically to you is way more productive than me just showing you how upset I am, if that makes sense. Like usually by default, you'll just see that I'm upset. But then me like saying things out of like, this is so upsetting, like Like, that doesn't really help you understand what's wrong, you know? Yeah, but then sometimes uh, something comes. Something wells up within you. <laughs> Michelle's a big crier. Yeah, I'm a crybaby. It's always have been. And then you know I'm like sort of a debate kid, 
and we sort oh of realized we had yeah this was one of the most recent like big fights we had yeah not but, that we have a lot of them <laughs> sorry that was but unclear. we sort of realized that i don't really take things very personally but i'll debate the hell out of them like i'll just start going at it with this logic and whatever logic that makes sense in my brain but then michelle is not necessarily a debater yeah and that there's a lot more things attached to like emotionally to the arguments she's making that i just sort of blow right over i think yeah sometimes also this is also in the context of not even just personal fights it's more of like when we talk about different like issues it's like societal issues just things we've learned in class like that those kind of topics as well i think some topics that we talk about are of course emotionally tied to me like of course if we talk about like something that has to do with women or sexuality or something that i find personal i will argue them with more emotion behind it but i think something that i realized was that because you learned how to debate in the way that you did like debate club and stuff like that in the very sterile setting with people that you don't know and like this idea that you would fight the hell out of your side of an argument for the sake of like winning whatever this debate is I think we realize that when you approach the conversation in that way I don't approach it that way to me it's more of like a conversation we're having and so when I feel like you're not listening to me that's when I get emotional most of the time it's like I'm like confused why you're so aggressive about your point of view and why it feels like you're not listening to what I'm saying or like sometimes it just kind of starts feeling like a competition it's like who's gonna make the most valid point but that's not the point of a debate between like you and me you know and I think that idea of winning (laughs) is a very key point Mm -hmm. for a lot of people because first of all what do you get if you win like nothing nothing (laughs) like there's nothing that exactly like oh my god you destroyed your other (laughs) like the other destroyed the person you love you won emotionally and completely (laughs) like made them submissive to your point of view (laughs) that's not desirable Mm -hmm. um but i see it like in other like oh my friends anoush debate champion god you too um my brother sometimes and me in that desire to win and win in a very satisfying manner where the other person is completely and totally destroyed jesus i think that's that's a big thing where like sometimes i remember one time i was arguing with my brother when we were younger and i just gave up in the middle i was like i give up you win Mm-hmm. And he just wouldn't let it go. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't satisfying, mm-hmm. you know? It wasn't a satisfying victory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's a mentality that a lot of people have that are more temperamentally like that. But it's definitely not helpful for anyone, especially in a relationship that you want to foster and grow. Mm-hmm. So once I identified that, I think I've slowly begun to learn how to try and debate more in like a still in like a logical way because I think there's a lot of value in that mm-hmm. with like emotions not so attached to 
the words I'm saying, but not in a way where I'm doing it to win. Mm-hmm. So. And, yeah. And shout out Anoush. <laughs> but there was a point in time where even just in like daily conversations, I guess, there were times during our conversations where I would get really frustrated with Hank because I felt like he didn't want my opinion on what he was talking about or I felt like he wouldn't stop and ask me like oh what do you think or like yeah basically just wouldn't it it felt like I didn't have opportunities to give my input therefore it felt like you didn't care about my input and whenever I would bring that up um sometimes Hank would be like oh but like with Anoush I'm sorry but with Anoush he just interjects his thoughts like he'll stop me and he'll interrupt and he'll talk about what he thinks and we just go back and forth like that like over and over again like why can't we do that and I think it took us a while to realize that one that's just not how I am I like feel that there's like this thing about like givers and takers in conversations like I'm a giver I need someone to like or I if I'm conversing with someone I feel like I have to give them a question for them to to respond to me whereas maybe you feel like you can just put something down and expect them to like just respond to what you've put down but I realized that I should also try harder to meet you where you are where you're at in your converse in the way you converse with people especially with like people with like a noose like way more naturally you guys both approach conversations the same way in that you just take what the person said and say your own point of view whereas I don't do that and so like we kind of have to meet in the middle of like I need you to ask me questions every now and then and I need to be more aggressive not aggressive like more assertive about wanting to share my opinion with you and not taking it personally when you're not asking me questions yeah and I think a lot of times before I realized this and before we got to this point I think I put a lot of the blame on myself Mm. for not being able to understand for being too argumentative and putting the blame on myself without really knowing the reason why and just having a bunch of negative reasons about my own character be the reason why I blame myself, Mm. I feel like that wasn't productive for me or for the entire relationship at all. Because then Mm. I would just say, oh, it's just my fault. It's my my fault. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mm. Without knowing why. But then when I start to think, okay, so this problem exists with Michelle but then it doesn't exist with my friends. So then what is like the difference there? Mm-hmm. And when you realize that the difference isn't necessarily something that is wrong with me, but just a difference mm-hmm. in the way we debate or converse and our temperaments, then once you locate what that difference is, it becomes a lot easier to resolve the conflict. Once you know that in your head. Mm. But that locating. That took a while. That takes a long time. It took us a year and like four months. (laughs) That and when you don't know, it just it just feels like there's just something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. And you'll never find like a solution to it. And you sort of want to give up. At least for me, it was like that. Mm. Not like give up as in like. I guess more like throw my hands up and be like, oh, this is never going to change. And just kind of like accept it every time. But there is a solution out there. There is (laughs) something where you're not, you know, you're not feeling guilty. You're not feeling terrible about yourself as long as you're 
realizing who you are and being connected mm -hmm. to who you are and also the other person. I think that can foster the best conflict resolution. Yeah. And I think when we made that discovery about like just how you communicate slash how you saw debates, it also just made me less mad at you when it happened. Because <laughs> every time it would happen after, because I'm like, oh, it's just like he's not doing it on purpose and it's not him trying to make me feel a certain way or like make me feel inferior or something like that. It's just this is how he approaches these kind of conversations. And I need to understand that. And also either like stop him and remind him like, hey, like, can I talk or something like that? Or I just need it if I have the energy for it to just be more assertive and meet you in the middle. Yeah. But also in the very beginning, before we made all these bombshell revelations about ourselves, I think the best conflict resolution method was through text, through very oh. long form text that was sent perhaps an hour to like five hours after <laughs> an issue occurred. Mm. We haven't done that in a while. Yeah, it's because we got better. Oh, okay. But cool. that was like the most effective form of conflict re resolution because we weren't talking face-to-face, mm -hmm. -face, so there was no chance that emotions of, you know, being like in the other person's presence, that wasn't a possibility. And also... You had to give it time. If you texted like five minutes or ten minutes after an issue happened, that's that literally you're going to do say this and do the same mistakes, make the same mistakes that you would have made if you were in person. And so only when you're completely cooled off, you send a very, very long text. <laughs> Like an email, basically. Yeah. Uh, what did you say? A strongly worded email? A strongly worded email. <laughs> but without the emotions attached, detailing everything that you felt and the way you felt it and the reason you felt it and what the other person could have done better. And the other person reads over the entire thing and then says, Dear Michelle, <laughs> comma. And yeah. then just writes out all of their things, right? And in the very beginning, it's gonna you're gonna butt heads. Mm -hmm. There's always gonna be something you're still mad at about the other person mm -hmm. in one of like their paragraphs that they send. But then you're like, you send a counter rebuttal email, but <laughs> you also sort of wait until that emotion sort of subsides, and then you send that, and then you go back and forth until eventually you realize the kernel. The issue, like, that everything had sprung from, usually it's a misconception. Sometimes it's genuinely someone's mistake. But only when both people have come to the same conclusion, then it can be, like, a very peaceful resolution. Yeah. And I think when you're taking the time to write down everything the way that you perceived it, it also helps you process your emotions better and also leaves way less room for misunderstanding because if I'm writing a whole text of like, this is how I felt and this is why I felt this way and this is blah, 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 then it's way easier to read all of that and see where I'm coming from than if we're just talking like a couple sentences at a time. Like I might say something and you might immediately make an assumption and then, you know, the, the conflict just keeps going. 
Whereas if you see what I'm upset about and you're like, I don't really understand that. And then you can read the rest and be like, oh. <laughs> and it just kind of makes us more empathetic towards each other. I agree. So what advice would you give to a college relationship? Or I guess just a relationship between two younger people? Because I don't know how we would advise anyone older than us. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't think we're like perfect. Of course. I think we are. <laughs> no. um, we're obviously still learning more about each other and how to like navigate relationships, especially because oh, we talk about this all the time these days, how different we are. We are actually probably polar opposite. Polar opposite. Like as people. Which is really interesting. It is really interesting. Michelle was a bully in middle school. Okay, why is that the first <laughs> thing that you have to say? Um, I was a very timid kid in middle school. Um, bullied. Michelle cries very easily. Mm-hmm. I almost never cry because of like an argument. Mm-hmm. Michelle has a very small mouth. <laughs> and has a ginormous mouth. <laughs> we're talking very physically. We're not talking about talking. Yeah. A little bit about talking. <laughs> Michelle, oh. what? go on. Um. I'm very, or I, at least I used to be very concerned about what people think about me. And I've sort of come to the point where I really don't care, at least about public perception. I'm extremely type A. You're very type B. I'm not type A at all. Oh my gosh, you are so not type B. Um, Or type A. Michelle grew up in like a sort of liberal space. At least, like my friend group, politically and, stuff. and socially. I grew up in Mississippi, <laughs> so conservative. My hometown was conservative too, though. It was more. It was it, more our friends. Yeah, just yeah. immediate influences. Yeah, and that's how I sort of grew up. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're very different. We're very different. Michelle's clingy. <laughs> hey, <laughs> or clingier than I am. Mm-hmm. I think. I think that also is something that sometimes I'm like, I feel like I did wrong because I'm not as clingy as I should be. And then I feel bad, like, because I'm like, oh, why am I not? Is this a recent feeling? Um, or just like, in general, I feel like oh. sometimes when you're like, oh, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? I used to feel really like bad just because mm. I thought that I was just wrong. My upbringing was wrong. This was wrong. and But then I've come to realize thinking that, like having that guilt of who you are, that is just unproductive on every single level. So then I I also came to the conclusion that I am this way for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. And so then I need to find out what that reason is. And then work from there. Because in order to change myself to become someone who I want to be, which I want to show my affection towards you and be more attentive. But just thinking that, oh my God, why am I not like this? Why am I not like this? Let me be more like this. That's operating purely off of like immediate motivation. And maybe you'll do it for like a day or two or three. Mm. But then you'll never have that long term because Mm -hmm. you'll fall back into your old habits Mm -hmm. but not thinking in a guilt 
way, but thinking in a, I am like this for a reason. I'm just human. I was brought up like this. I was always, I, I was just shaped by my environment. And now, how can I become more attentive to my unconscious patterns that I can make them more conscious and then create new patterns that I am more happy about and would want my life to generally go in that direction. So I feel like that is a big change that I've made in recent times, especially going to therapy and stuff. I was going to mention that. Um, You sound like someone who goes to therapy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I just started going because it's free. Mm-hmm. I just go like maybe once a week. A lot of this progress you like made yourself. Yeah. And a lot of it I've thought out already. Mm-hmm. But I think talking to someone about all these things I've thought out extensively, it just made it like organized. Mm-hmm. And she'll write it all down in her notes. And at the <laughs> end, I'm like, can you just go over the entire thing that we talked about? Mm-hmm. And then she'll list everything. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was like a breakthrough thing. That was a thing. That was a thing. And then I'm like, now I'm just much more aware of who I am mm-hmm. and what my issues are. And instead of like victimizing myself mm-hmm. for all the issues, I have got like a much more positive attitude about yeah. it. Instead of thinking I'm in the wrong, I think I am who I am. But then what can I try and do now to change mm-hmm. and become a better version of myself? Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, anyways, mm-hmm. this is something that I don't, I haven't told a lot of people, mm-hmm. and it might be a new element in our relationship. But I'm going to the. Hopefully, I'll get into this <laughs> program, but. I'm trying to go into the Marine Corps Officer Candidate School program, which is a 10-week program over the summer in which I'll be just going through military officer training. Not necessarily for for the career, but generally for the leadership skills and the self-discipline and the intense physical exercise that I feel like would be good for me. And I won't be seeing Michelle. For a while. And maybe not. You'll be in Virginia. Quantico, Virginia. Quantico? Yeah. What the heck? I don't know that. <laughs> um, and if I do my journalism residency, which is a requirement for Medill juniors and seniors, which will happen in the fall, I might not see her for like six months straight. <laughs> if I choose to do it somewhere that is not Evanston. Mm-hmm. And so I was wondering... <laughs> what do you think about this long distance possibility? I think at first I was definitely going through a lot of like distress because I didn't find out about also you not being in Chicago for GR isn't finalized. There's still a chance that you are in Chicago. I'm kind of explaining your point of view. Um and Hank doesn't you know, he like we said he's less planned out and concerned about the future than I am so to him this like wishy-washy possibility of whether he's in Chicago or not wasn't a big deal Uh, whether he's in Chicago or not for the fall wasn't a big deal because that's what like two seasons away 
So I actually found out about this possibility through one of his friends through like a passing conversation. And I was like, oh, shoot. Like I didn't I forgot that Hank more like I forgot. I knew that you were considering it. Forgot that Hank might not be here in the fall. And then I put two and two together that he wouldn't be here in the summer either. And I realized there's really only like a month of a window where he's completely free in which we can maybe see each other. But just the looming idea of like six whole months where I don't see you on a day-to-day basis was very overwhelming when I first realized. And four weeks in the very beginning of the boot camp where I'm not allowed my phone. Yeah. Also, that whole process was super annoying (laughs) because um, uh, ever since Hank was taking the Marine camp more seriously, I had been more so jokingly asking him or telling him, like, this better not be a no contact thing. Like, this is like the Korean army where you can't have your phone and stuff. Like, I'm going to freak out. Like, those kind of, like, jokes. Um, And then he finally did get conversation, con formation one morning that he wouldn't have his phone for four whole weeks and then also every week after that for six weeks he only has his phone on the weekends and so that obviously was just like a double whammy on top of already thinking that we wouldn't see each other for six months so of course at first I was really upset but I think you've taught me to be better at not worrying about things that I don't have control over and also not worrying about things that don't have immediate effect on me, especially the JR in the fall. Like there's of course a chance that you are in Chicago. So what's the point of me being so upset and worried about that right now? And you'll find out if you do JR in Chicago or not in the spring. So I can worry about that in the spring. <laughs> that is not a now issue. <laughs> you don't have to worry at all. Okay, yeah, yeah. Know? But I mean, I will worry. So that's just how it will work. That's crazy. Because in my brain, that is so far in the future that I <laughs> Dang, can't I even so imagine different. it. It's crazy, like, how she can think. Like, right now, it's it's the very beginning of March. She's already thinking about, like, August, September november december like my brain just doesn't go all the way there Mm -hmm. and i feel like recently i've not recently but just in general i've been sort of disconnected from time especially the future Mm -hmm. at some point i realized that i'm going to live my life the way i wanted to instead of follow my parents generous advice but yeah like i sort of realized i wanted to lead my own path but instead of getting anxious about what i'm going to do in the future and where i'm going to go i accepted the fact that these opportunities are going to come to me things are going to happen the way they should and i should just be happy whatever happens like i'm going to end up doing the thing that i love instead of something that you know i wanted to do when i was in the senior year of high school and so I just stuck with it because I just didn't have any alternatives or I didn't think because I didn't I was too scared to risk something else mm-hmm. so I've gotten to the point where I have no anxiety about my future because I, it's literally a void there's mm-hmm. nothing there but I know that there are going to be opportunities I know that they will come up and I will find things that I really really enjoy doing for the rest of my life that I don't know now. Like there's like some random, like sometimes you hear about random jobs mm-hmm. that you've never heard about as a kid. 
and you're like, wow, I would never have said that I wanted to be like, I don't know, like a product tester or something when mm-hmm. I was younger. Like that's mm-hmm. just like there's some things like a or like a windmill engineer or like an AI prompt generator. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be a job. <laughs> or like like I think they're trying to make um self driving trucks now and they're gonna instead of having truck drivers drive the trucks, they're gonna have like one person operate all the trucks or something. Like these are jobs you just never heard about, but you might hear about them. In the future and they might just be the one for you and there's so many jobs like that and i feel like instead of sectioning myself off into one thing i want to keep my possibilities open for anything and i know that the right thing will come rolling around and because i'm not so preoccupied with money or stability or like the disappointment of my parents like I have none of those things that are tying me down. Mm-hmm. I am sitting very comfortably in the fact that I have no clue what anything's going to look like in the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. But I'm happy that I'm like this, mm-hmm. you know, which is different from a lot of people, I realize. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm the second child. I'm not even the first child who would have a lot more responsibility or burden on their shoulders to, you know, mm-hmm. be the breadwinner of the family or support their parents or fulfill expectations or and I feel like I've been given a very unique position to be able to realize that I'm going to live my own life at a relatively early age yeah. and not be tied down what do you think I think one of the biggest differences in how we treat and plan for the future is just fear. <laughs> um, I think you're very fearless for viewing your future like that. Whereas I don't think I have, or I think I am more afraid of not having stability, I guess. Not that I necessarily have these standards for myself that I will be living in like a really nice apartment when I graduate and like, I'll be making this amount of money and that kind of stuff. I don't necessarily stress about that, but I am afraid of feeling aimless or afraid of not knowing what I want to do with my life. And so I think also I think I'm a very goal-oriented person. Not necessarily that I am constantly setting goals for myself or that I that I'm, yeah, that I'm not that I'm constantly setting goals for myself, but more that I know that I work harder and feel more fulfilled and confident in myself when there is some kind of goal that I'm working towards. And I think for the beginning half of college, I felt pretty lost in that kind of sense because I didn't know what I wanted to do, like at all. I just kind of realized I don't like what journalism is. Um, and besides journalism, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do because that's all I've known. And now what? And so I think for me, even if the goal that I've set for myself isn't what's meant to happen for me, even just having that makes me work harder and feel more, feel that things that I'm doing are purposeful in this moment in time, which I personally find more valuable than 
not having that goal and just kind of waiting to find what's right for me I guess is what I'm trying to say I think if I viewed the future in the way that you do I would struggle to find purpose in the things I'm doing now like why am I studying psych like why am I dancing why am I why do I have the friends I have now I think things would feel very temporary for me and I also had this sorry I also had this perspective in the beginning of college things felt very temporary I was like especially for friends or certain friendships I didn't approach them with as much I guess like passion and effort because people always say like your freshman friends will never be like your real friends by the end of college and so some people I didn't put that much effort towards our friendship because I was like oh like this might not end up being what it should be and so I think I I just hate that feeling I don't like going into things thinking that it's purposeless or that it won't serve me in the future and I think that is a little bit small-minded in a way that like everything needs to have a specific purpose in the world I don't think I necessarily see it that way but I just like to know what the next steps are and I like to feel that I'm getting, like, I'm going in a specific direction, I guess. And, like, even right now, my goal is to get a PhD in clinical psychology. But, like, do I really know how much? Like, do I really know what that entails? Do I really know what kind of thing I want to do within clinical psychology? Like, no. But I think right now, that's what aligns with me. And so I'm going to pursue it, even if it's not exactly what I might end up doing in the future it's something and I think I prefer that security over nothing I think I was also like that in the beginning of college or at least at the end of high school in a way where I was starting to evaluate what I'm good at like to see what I should like focus on like I wanted I liked art I liked videos I liked writing journalism talking to people telling stories so then i just started to like list them all out and i was like what is it that i'm good at art definitely not an option <laughs> um and i started ruling things out like i don't want to do that i don't do that so then it was like okay so the only logical option is this and that's how i sort of arrived mm. at journalism me too and like i don't want to be a lawyer that my dad always wants to make me be, or I don't want to be this. But then I realized choosing what you are going to do for the rest of your life based on what you don't want to do, there's an issue with that in yeah. you know, some degree. And I think that slowly I try to expand the way I think to the point where I would be okay doing like menial jobs or be okay doing things that I would normally just write off immediately, like being a cashier or I don't know, like a truck driver. Like, those are things that I think before I'm like, oh, that's just not an opportunity. That's just not a possibility. But then I was like, why am I immediately 
cutting these things out of my range of possibility. And I was like, okay, maybe I should just be okay with doing anything in the future. And then when I truly internalized that, it just opened up the possibilities to be literally like endless. Like, because I'm okay with anything. I could, mm. I could, you know, just pursue something crazy, like an artistic project. Or I could, I could, you know, support myself doing this job while really wanting to do this. Or like, I just, I don't know what that is yet. But because I've opened up that possibility, I'm much more comfortable in sitting in like this directionless state. And I think when I got that email about going to the Marine Corps, if I was in a different headspace, I would have immediately just trashed that email. You know, mm. it's just another one of those spam emails where they're like promising you money for like boot camp. Oh yeah, this is another Navy recruiter or something. Mm -hmm. But then because I was in this open state of mind, I don't necessarily have a direction, but I know I want to do something I want to do. I actually gave it a second thought and I thought about it a little more. And I was like, this might not be a bad idea. And then I emailed them back. And now I'm in this whole application process where I had to get my dental records or like all of these things. And I and when I was in the Marine office for the first time, just sitting there, I was like, what am I doing? Like that just hit me. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I would have never thought I'd be here ever. The military? Like, what? And then I, the other voice in my head was like, oh, no, you're, this is where you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. It's going to be good for you, and you know that. It's going to be difficult and a challenge, but it's going to be good for you. Mm -hmm. And I think I realized that. If I take steps like that, every step along the way, being completely, like, open-minded to whatever future that might await me i'm sort of like putting my hands or putting my life in the hands of my future self like trusting myself mm. to make the best decisions along the way instead of locking myself in a path when i'm younger and then only realizing that was a mistake later when i'm older do you sort of see where i'm coming from i do understand where you're coming from and i think that Going back to what you said earlier, deciding what you want to do with your life based on things that you don't want to do is a bit of a dangerous route to take things. But I also think process of elimination has been a big part of what I've been going through these days um, in terms of career. Like, for example, I don't think it's just about deciding, oh, I don't want to do that. Therefore, I should do this. It's a little bit more of what did I not like about that? And what's the opposite of that that I could pursue? At least that's how I viewed journalism was I realized that I didn't really like, I enjoyed interviewing people, but I didn't like that I couldn't give my input or help them. Or it felt like I couldn't really take it to a certain emotional level or else I'd be biased or it'd be too far and it's unprofessional. And I felt like taking other people's stories writing about them and then sending them to the masses felt it felt less impactful for me because whether that person like whether people read that story is up to them whether they're changed by what I've written is totally up to them 
and I didn't really like that part of it. I didn't like that. Basically, I felt like it was very indirect, the impact I was having, even though it could be on a way bigger scale. It just felt smaller to me. And so I think I looked at that and I was like, okay, well then, I like the interview process. I like talking to people one-on-one, but why, like, what can I do that is more hands-on? And to me, that was like therapy. I was like, well, I can listen to people's stories and I can help them more directly. And I would definitely be helping less people in the long run because if I write a story, like hundreds of people could read that. But as a therapist, I would only have like a handful of people I'm working with. But at least I could see the impact that it's having on them more personally and like feel how they're taking in what I'm saying and stuff like that. And so that was like part of the process of elimination. And same thing with the marketing I'm doing now. Marketing is like a plan B for me because it would be way easier to pursue than a PhD. But I'm also realizing things I don't like about marketing and it's only affirming what I do like about psychology, at least clinical psychology. Because like in marketing, there's a lot of times where I feel like I'm interacting with people who are super not genuine. And I'm not blaming the person themselves. I'm blaming the position that they're in, position of power and a position of needing to uphold a certain image. And I don't like those interactions at all. I feel very fake and I feel very like we're only having these conversations because we're in this setting and because you have an obligation to me. And I don't like that. And so I think that only affirms me wanting to do therapy and stuff like that. But going back to kind of leaving your hands into your future self, I think I also feel that way to a certain degree. Because like I said, I don't know for sure if I'm actually going to fully pursue that PhD or if I'm fully going to go into therapy. Maybe I'll find out that's too much for me and I can't handle it and I'll go a different route. But I definitely trust myself to make those decisions later on. But I also believe very strongly in setting yourself up for success and setting yourself up for as many possibilities as you can because you were talking about it in a more like emotional or like cognitive sense of like being open to anything I guess and I guess this doesn't really apply to like the possibilities of taking like more menial jobs or things like that but to me I think I'm kind of taking it back to fear I'm a little worried that in the future I would find something else that I really want to do but I realize I don't have the credentials for it or I realize that shoot I have to like go back to school and I do all this and I don't have this experience and this and that I don't have like my resume is not padded enough like those kind of things and I kind of want to give myself as much like to me that freedom is obtainable by completing as much as I can almost it's like not that I'm like doing the most insane academic things but it's like by me taking all these like classes and like setting up my resume a certain way or pursuing whatever academic extracurricular experiences I am experiencing like to me that's kind of padding any kind of possible shift that I make in my career because people always talk about transferable skills like I'm sure that like people always graduate people change their majors a million times in college and people change their careers a bunch of times after they graduate but 
to me, it's all about transferable skills and having a lot of experiences and a lot of depth in those experiences that you can transfer those things to other things or to other careers. And so I think I just view the future more that way. That makes sense. I think I've, I've come to have a different idea of success. Like mm-hmm. you said, setting yourself up for success. Mm-hmm. I think I saw that as like, you know, career success and success with creating a family and, you know, making my family proud. I think that was generally my idea of success in the past. But I've come to change that view of success, at least just for myself. Mm-hmm. as being really really happy mm-hmm. and completely satisfied and fulfilled that that has become my ultimate end goal for success and as long as i can achieve that in whatever means necessary right like whatever i need to do it doesn't matter if i'm like a farmer you know just growing my own crop and eating off of it if that's what it takes for me to be completely fulfilled, I think you would enjoy that. I would enjoy that <laughs> instead of, you know, locking myself into a certain academic path or. But yeah, I think that's just my temperament. Yeah, is this just different. boils down to we are very different, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a common theme in this podcast. Yes. Oh, but I always say this to people: I think we're very different, but we view relationships the same way, right? Like, how we approach this relationship in this moment and, like, how we prioritize it in relation to our friends and, like, other responsibilities that we have are, like, pretty similar. I agree. I feel like we both realize what a healthy relationship looks like and we're both very willing to Mm -hmm. work towards it. I think our dedication to the relationship is very similar. And also... We Hank and I keep joking about this these days, but him and I literally share the same brain, <laughs> and we just think about, like we just think about things more similarly. Uh, at least Recently. like menial things, yeah. Like when something will happen, like Michelle will think it but won't say it, but then I'll immediately say it. Yeah. Or, or sometimes we both say the same thing at the same time. Just things like that. It's pretty funny. <laughs> and maybe that's just us reading each other's brain waves. Being more receptive towards that, or maybe it's not. <laughs> Who knows? Um. Anyways, I feel like that's a good place to end it. We've been going for. Well, I want to keep talking. This is fun, though. If you want to keep talking, we can keep talking later. Later? Oh, um, like after this? Immediately night? after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, either way, this has been Hank from the Northwestern People Podcast. And Michelle. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you.